1: all right, we are back with another edition of the Blue Gold Report in an awkward situation this week as we record all of our podcasts, of course, on Friday. Some You might have heard of a big event going on, maybe called the Final Four tonight. Well, we'll preview it a little bit, get you ready for it if you're listening on a podcast. If you're listening on uh, ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM, no, we are not complete fools. We do understand that the game has already been played. I'm Mike Rags, going to bring in Todd here in a second. Of course, the Blue Gold Report podcast is brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Uh, And, of course, you can find us wherever you download podcasts. When you do, make sure you rate and review us and share us. As I said, we'll talk about some women's hoops and we'll break down some football as well. Spring practicing continue along. And as we've been doing the last few weeks, we'll continue looking at um, special positions uh, on the upcoming 2019 season and what to look for in the uh, spring, summer, and fall. We'll look at wide receivers later on today. Let's uh, take a look at uh, Todd Burlidge right now from Blue Gold Illustrated. Uh, Todd, uh, we get to face uh, our old nemesis again tonight with UConn and Gino Auriemma, 11th time national champions, and of course they might be out for some revenge tonight, you would think.
0: Yeah, you would definitely think so uh, with the the, uh, 89-71 hurtin' that UConn put on Notre Dame here at Purcell Pavilion. That goes back to December 2nd. Uh, Indeed, we predicted this matchup, even though UConn was a two seed. Um, where is it here, Rags? I was gonna—I was saving this for a little bit later, but I should get to it anyways. Uh, interestingly, that Muffet McGraw actually beat Gino. She beat him seven of eight times between 2011 and 2013, which is almost un- unthinkable, <laughs> you know, to beat Gino seven out of eight times. Since then, UConn. Gino has won seven of the last eight. So something has to give on top of everything else in this game tonight.
1: Yeah, and of course it's being played in Tampa. And uh, by the way, uh, Todd's not in Tampa right now. He is on location doing the show, although kind of sounds like he's in Tampa, but he's not. Uh, so we do apologize uh, for all you listening. Uh, it's, it, you sound fine, Todd, but people are just used to you being in the studio with me. So I just wanted to give him the heads up. And if you missed... Um, uh, Muffet McGraw's inspirational speech. We don't have enough time to talk about, it, but at, did you see her presser yesterday with her, her talking about um, women's equal rights and all? That? I mean, it made the Twitter rounds, and it really is quite uh, inspirational. If you have a daughter or if you have a woman in your life, uh, listen to what uh, you can find it on Twitter. Todd, it was quite good what she had to say about you know women finally uh, getting the opportunities and getting equal pay in a lot of these sports and in jobs overall.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It seems like, I mean, she's just really hitting her stride. You know, I mean, she's been here for almost 30 years, and I said, and she's always done a great job, don't get me wrong, but it's almost like she's finding her voice more and more. I think in some respects when she was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame and had a chance to give that speech, and it went well, she was so nervous going into that. She didn't know what she was going to say, but it went so well and was received so well. It seems like she's almost found found a new voice, and, and it's it's a welcome uh, it's a welcome addition to Muffet. She's a wonderful woman. And certainly, a great spokesman for women and women's sports.
1: Yeah, that, it was interesting because the question that all the question was to pose to her was now that Pat Summitt's no longer with us, do you feel that responsibility? And boom, she took off and running with the responsibility. So good for her. Uh, she's always been great, and she will continue to be a tremendous role model. All right, before we get to their game tonight, why don't you break down some blue gold nuggets?
0: All righty, sir. Yeah, four pack this week, actually, rags. I was going to do a little segment on hockey, but then I kind of got diving into that box score, and there really wasn't any point uh, because that season is now over. Notre Dame misses its chance at a third straight Frozen Four by getting beat by UMass four to nothing. That was in the Northeast Regional Final. Um, again, it was uh, they missed out on their third straight Final Four. They finished the season up at 23 wins, 14 losses, and three ties. Kind of an up-and-down season. I think actually Notre Dame should probably be satisfied to make it to the final eight, especially since they claim that Big Ten tournament championship. Um, So that season is over. See, last year, we talked about how this is kind of an awkward show. At least we had that hockey and the Frozen Four to fall back on. So that's what's made this this kind of an interesting show also. Uh, Moving on to some football news. DJ Morgan, he was a six foot two, two hundred and twenty-four linebacker. He's a grad transfer he's a graduate student now. Actually, he's gonna graduate this summer. Um, he is going to transfer to Yukon, which is kind of interesting for a defensive player to transfer to all schools to Yukon. He'll take his grad transfer year there. Actually he'll have two seasons of eligibility remaining there because he's graduating early from Notre Dame here. Uh, UConn, if you remember, Rags went one and eleven. But it's not just the one and eleven that's eye popping when it comes to this school. They set records as the worst defense in FBS history, mm. uh, won by giving up fifty point four points per game, and the biggie was giving up six hundred and seventeen point four yards per game, which was fifty more yards than the previous record. <laughs> uh, They also allowed 8.81 yards per play, so good luck to D.J. Morgan. Hopefully he can turn that defense into a powerhouse here. They are getting quite a bit of few transfers uh, to UConn on the defensive side of the football, so perhaps that will help a little bit. This was sort of interesting. It happened this week. I always kind of keep an eye on Pat Connaughton to see how he's doing up there in Milwaukee, and Bonzi Colson, as you know, a former teammate of Pat's, is with the Bucs now. Basically playing more G League, but he's on that two-way contract. Well, being that we're winding the season down, you know how it goes. Teams want to rest their players, uh, especially their stars. So a lot of these G Leaguers get their chance to make their, uh, their presence known, shall we say. And Conan and Bonzi, uh, they combined for 32 points and 28 rebounds in a 136-135 overtime loss. At, uh, that was on uh, March 31st at Atlanta. Uh, it's not too shabby there. Uh, Bonzi had, obviously, career highs. I think he only had three career points even coming into this game. Bonzi had 15 points and 16 rebounds in 41 minutes. Conin continued his ascent. He's really on a roll right now, Rags right? getting a lot of minutes, scoring a lot of points, even recording double-doubles. In this particular game, he had 17 points and 12 rebounds in 29 minutes. So good for those guys. want to see those, both of those guys uh, stick in the NBA for long careers. And one more basketball note on the nugget side here. This one came as a little bit of a surprise for me. Uh, DJ Harvey is, uh, is potentially, potentially seeking a transfer. He entered his name, uh, he, obviously the Notre Dame sophomore junior to be. Uh, he entered his name in that transfer portal. Uh, that was a little bit of a surprise for me. Uh, he would actually, if indeed he ends up leaving Notre Dame, he'd become the third relatively recent transfer from the basketball program. I uh, remember Matt Ryan. Uh, 2016-17 player, uh, he left, and then Elijah Burns left last year, and then D.J. Harvey would be the third. Um, He would have two seasons of eligibility. You know, when he came in, when Harvey came in, he was from DeMatha High School there, and he was the highest rated recruit Mike Bray has ever had. He remains the highest recruit Mike Bray has ever had. He was a top 50 player. Big things were expected. Had the knee injury as a freshman, and things just really haven't panned out. Really hasn't lived up to expectations, in my opinion. Did average 11 points and 4.5 and rebounds this year. But still not, not really the breakout player, athletic player, we were expecting him to be. A lot of that probably has to do with that knee injury and rags. Those are your blue gold nuggets.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, we've got uh, we're going to break down some the wide receivers in a bit here for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team as they continue spring practice, getting closer and closer to the uh, blue gold game. Uh, but let's, I mean, do what we can with this women's basketball team. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, we have the NBA draft, WNBA draft coming up. Um, Todd, I mean, eleven-time national champion, old friends of ours, UConn. Tonight, if you're listening on Friday and if you're listening on Saturday, I apologize. And hopefully, go Irish, we won. But, uh, Todd, last time we saw this team in the tournament, it was Eric uh, Ogumbawale putting the dagger in. And here we go all over again. And, boy, I'm really excited about tonight's game.
0: Yeah, for sure. I believe Notre Dame is listed as a a three-and-a-half-point favorite is what I've seen. So that's a big turnaround from the— um, from the big loss that I mentioned earlier, the 18-point loss UConn put on them earlier this year. That was a long time ago. I think the girls back then in December when they played for the first time, the Notre Aim ladies, they, they just kind of thought they were on cruise control after what happened last year with the national championship run. This game certainly served as a wake-up call for them, so yeah, you, you can be sure you're going to get a better effort from uh, especially the starting five. I mentioned it last week, how these the starting five Uh, Jackie Young, Enrique, uh, Jess Shepard, Brie Turner, Marina Mabry. They went over, in the the previous game here, the win against Stanford, they went over 10,000 career points between them. That is something that has never, ever been done before. So I went ahead and did a little more research on that. The previous record uh, for most points scored by a starting five career points was 8,492. That was by a group at Ohio State, uh, the women's side. Was in 2017 2018. North Carolina holds the men's record 2008 09, 8,216. I assume that is a record that will never be broken because <laughs> people just don't stick around long enough anymore. But indeed, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, I, I wish, unfortunately, like you, know, like you said, playing on late on a Friday night, there's nothing we can do. Uh, but we'll certainly be ready to recap this game next week for y'all.
1: Yeah, and, you know, we're hoping it's not a last hurrah tonight and there's one more time to see these five young ladies because if you look at the WNBA draft, there's three rounds in the draft, and it looks like all five will probably be picked up here, Todd.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously the big question is going to be, will Jackie Young stay or go? We know the other four are gone. Um, the big, again, the big question, I, I personally I hate to say this. I'd love to see Jackie Young come back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But my word, I mean, when she loses the, her, you know, her four other team, teammates here, it's yeah. probably a good time for her to get out of Dodge because, as a matter of fact, of the five players that will, uh, that, that are listed on mock draft boards, Jackie Young actually rates the highest. Yeah. And that doesn't surprise me because when you watch this team play, she is clearly the most gifted player both physically, athletically, the whole work. She could still work on her three-point shot, but I think that's something she'll be able to find. I looked at one mock draft, and by the way, Rags, that that is going to be Wednesday night on the draft, April 10th, 7 p.m. If you're interested in watching such things, the first round is on ESPN2, and then they switch over to ESPNU for rounds two and three. Uh, Indeed, it's a 36-player draft, and all five of the players are projected like I said, one mock draft that I saw has Jackie Young gone number seven, Enrique going number nine, Jess Shepard going number 14, Bree Turner number 20, and Marina Mabry um, number 27. So all five of the Notre Dame players gone in the top 30 of the draft, according to this one website. Um, if Jackie Young would go, it would be you remember Jewel Lloyd. Yeah. Uh, she left a year early, and she was taken first overall in the WNBA draft by the Seattle Storm. She has since moved on. She's playing her ball now in China. And I was just kind of wondering, Rags, I really never got an answer. Is that an upgrade or is that a downgrade? <laughs> yeah, a I, I, was trying, I, I was trying to find salaries, WMEA salaries versus girls that play overseas salaries. I just I really couldn't find any good info on that. But I thought it was worth mentioning that Jewel Lloyd is the last player, and I believe the only player uh, at Notre Dame, to leave early.
1: Well, and if you're looking for a local connection here, too, and uh, potential – uh... you know be able to see these Ladies play beyond somewhere close. Indiana picks third in the first round. Chicago picks fourth. That's kind of high. The highest I saw Jackie Young get uh, projected was fifth overall. And then yeah, Indiana well, that- Indiana doesn't have a pick in the second round. They do have two third round picks. Chicago will pick fifteenth. So in the second round, so you could see uh, someone get picked in that, like Jessica Shepard or Brianna yeah. Turner in that area. So you know we o- we always like to try and keep it close. Uh, so we can actually follow these ladies and go to some of their games, Indiana obviously being the best-case scenario, or Chicago for some. Um, so let's keep an eye on that. Although, looking at Jackie Young and, and Erica Aogobowale in the first round going to Indiana-Chicago, probably not likely, but who knows, Todd?
0: Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting because Jackie's not going to have much time. She's probably already made her decision, obviously, but... These girls, these underclassmen, that they'll leave school early to go in the WNBA draft, they have 24 hours after the end of their last game <laughs> to make their decision. <laughs> like I said, the draft is Wednesday, Rags, and the national championship quick. is on Monday. Yeah, uh, so that's a quick turnaround. So, so we'll know right away. There's not going to be a lot of suspense there.
1: Todd, uh, we're break, breaking down the wide receivers, and we really wanted to delve into you know the two steady wide receivers for the Notre Dame uh, Fighting Irish football team. Uh, and and you know Chris Finke to me it just seems like the uh, the Julian Edelman uh, Wes Welker of the of the two and then you have Clay you know we're really hoping for the emergence of Chase Claypool here as the deep threat um, as we break down these two uh, players uh, can they become mainstaying uh, really good threats for Ian Book?
0: Yeah, I think they can because really they did last year. You know, think and I loved your comparisons there because that's the type of player Fink is. I, I wanted to talk about him because he's an interesting story, and I had a chance to talk to Brian Kelly, ask Brian Kelly about him this week, and we'll pop that audio in here in a bit. Um, but he's a fifth-year guy, Fink is. You know, he, he actually, just to show, talk about his reliability and his steadiness, he had 49 catches last year. Two-thirds of those went for first downs. Um, So that that gives you an idea of how reliable he is and how important he is. Um, Fink went to uh, Archbishop Alter High School in Ohio, uh, near Dayton. It's the same school, Malik Zaire and Nick Coleman went to a couple other Notre Dame players. So Brian Kelly had a very good relationship uh, with the head coach there. It's It's a great sports school. And while Brian Kelly was there tracking down Malik Zaire, that coach pulled him aside. And said, "Hey, we have somebody we want you to take a look at, if you don't mind." And here's the story that Brian Kelly shared on how uh, Chris Fink's recruitment and really his ascent from walk-on to, I think, a very likely candidate to be team captain. Here's how that ascent went about.
2: I was in the high school coach who I've respected for a number of years. The head coach there said, "Look, um, I know you're you're you, you know you're all set, but I've got a kid who's a really good competitor." And, uh, you know, his sister goes to Notre Dame, and uh, he's going to walk on or maybe even get a scholarship to Miami of Ohio, um, and you may want to take a look at him as a walk-on, because I know he likes Notre Dame. So it was late in the day. As a matter of fact, he's down uh, in in the gym uh, practicing. He's on the basketball team. And and, uh, they had a really good basketball team. And they were scrimmaging and he was fearless like going in against six foot five six six foot guys and just um, slapping the ball away just tenacious and it just it just caught my eye as a guy that you know uh, was not going to back down from any challenge when it came to uh, competing and then you know, we just continued to follow him in his senior year, and he was lights out as a punt returner. So we thought at the minimum, if we took a preferred walk-on who had great ball skills and could be a punt returner and was fearless, because you've got to be fearless to stand out there in front of 85,000 and then have guys running down at you, wanting to hit you, and that requires fearlessness as, as the job resume. This would be a good get, and then it turned into be more than that. You know what's interesting about
1: all of that, Todd, is, and it must happen a lot all over the country with all these guys out there recruiting. You go to see one player and you end up, you know, bumping into and backing into another mm-hmm. player that's on this team, and you're like, oh my gosh, we got another potential player here.
0: Yeah, and I think what, when Brian Kelly started looking, you know, he talked about the basketball scene on the basketball court, but then I'm, obviously you would have studied some football film. You know, think returned six punts, and Brian Kelly referenced it in that clip, returned six punts for touchdowns. Uh, his senior year, and, and that, trust me, that league that they play in, that Catholic league, and this was a state championship runner-up at Ohio, which is a very proud football state. We all know that. You know, that's big-time football there, so 6 punt returns is pretty impressive stuff. And it didn't take Fink long to make his mark here at Notre Dame. You know, even as a uh, as a freshman, um, he caught uh, ten passes for two TD. I'm sorry, he didn't play. He registered his freshman year, but as a sophomore then, uh, redshirt freshman, however you want to call him, uh, caught 10 passes for two TDs, and then another six catches uh, as a uh, during his junior, sophomore year, however you want to look at it. And then I mentioned the 49 catches last year. So this guy is he kind of a defined slot receiver, as you mentioned early on. I think he's going to have another good and steady and really reliable year.
1: And, of course, he will help out the deeper threat in Chase Claypool, who – seems to be a jack-of-all-trades at this time, a highly intelligent guy, and then it's a wonder, all right, how much that translates on the field to his desire to want to be a stud.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one thing he's doing, and he'll talk about it some in this clip, I had a chance actually to sit down with him and get a one-on-one interview. I'm doing a a story on him as well. Um, And so I just cut out a little of that to, to share. It's kind of a little bit all over the place, but it gives a glimpse into what he's doing. Rags He's actually taking eight, I'd even call it eight-and-a-half classes, uh, really during this semester, summer school and whatnot, because he wants to have his schedule. He wants to have his degree in hand and have his schedule freed up to really focus on football in the fall. So he's taking 18 credit hours. That's, that's insane. Ooh. That's insane. And he's also within, uh, I believe it. Yeah, it's in May, he's going to go on a, uh, a study abroad tour of Brazil. He's going to be there for three weeks. Um, this kid's from Canada. He's going to be so busy with school and football, he's not even going to get back to see his family up north until Christmas. <laughs> so, um, he, he's logging the books and logging the miles and logging about a little bit of everything. So, let's play that interview, and then I got a couple other uh, little tidbits
3: about Chase Claypool. And then I'll be part time in the in the fall, just so I can, you know, really accelerate there. So it's it's worth it. It'll be worth it. It's a grind now, but I have I have a lot of credits left over. Like I'll be taking like three and a half classes rather than like five or six in the fall. Was that decision to load up now so you would have that extra time? Yeah. Was that, was that? Yeah. I mean, I know how important sleep is, and you know having like. Six classes, five, six classes is tough. So I'm mean, having eight classes is like, you know, it's, it's really a struggle. But you get in a routine, mm-hmm. um, you grind through it. And then once you hit summer, fall, you're, you know, sleep comes so easy. So, Chase, when you decided to come back this year, what drove that decision? Oh, I mean, was, you know, you, you always get better every year. And the league is like the last destination. So when you get to the league, you want to be, you know, as prepared as you can possibly be and if i can get better before i go to league then i'm gonna use that year to get better is there anything in particular that you wanted to improve on yeah i mean i think i have to work like there's more i can put on film in terms of route running um the more routes i can run the better the more you know kind of things i can show the scouts the better uh just catching the ball all the time um try to get some yard depth to catch and yeah, Don't talk to Miles at all? Yeah, I talk to him in practice all the time. Uh, he gives me some tips. This is the type of guy he is, so I think that helps having a veteran around and um, watching him, you know, play these last couple of years.
0: You know, Rags, uh, when Miles Boykin gets drafted here coming up in April, later this month, I should say, it'll be the first time in Notre Dame history that two years in a row a Notre Dame wide receiver. Has been drafted. That really surprised me. If you remember last year, it was Equinemius St. Brown. He went in the sixth round. Miles Boykin, obviously with his combine work, is certainly in line to be better than that. Probably third. I don't think any worse than fourth round. And I think now you can even start talking about a third straight year with Chase Claypool. I honestly think he's going to have a solid year. He's great physically. Has his head on straight. Really good guy all around. I don't. I can't see any reason why he won't play himself into a uh, draft position as well and then that would be three years in a row that an Irish receiver went in into the draft uh, I just was surprised that it's never happened two years in a row uh, that, that was kind of a shocker to me
1: yeah uh and and he you know like I like we talked about last week and we've been talking about since last year he's shown glimpses of mm-hmm. of being that guy but again, We need more than glimpses nowadays, especially for Ian Book, who, you know, that was the major deficiency of this team last year, was going downfield.
0: Yeah, for sure. And we talked about how, you know, when you talked about the 12.5 yards per carry from this or per catch in this position, that was the lowest in a very, very long time. And I think it goes to that. The knock on Claypool has always been the same. He's here today, but sometimes he's gone tomorrow. And he's well aware of it. He's been asked about it a hundred times. But at six foot four and, a half and 229 pounds, he's a massive target. Now, he is switching positions a little bit. He's not going to be on that field side, that wide side, as he was opposite Miles Boykin last year. He's actually going to take over Boykin's spot here and, and play in the boundary, which is the shorter side of the field. They feel like they can get more one-on-one matchups, and he can indeed go over more players and do that type of thing. So, It's a different position he did. I asked him about it. Um, He said he played that his freshman year, uh, so it's not completely unfamiliar to him. But you're right. If he can keep his head on straight, he's going to have a monster year and set set himself up well for the draft.
1: All right, Todd, uh, thanks for checking in with us on remote. Uh, we've got another Blue Gold Report podcast in the books brought to you by Dio McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. And if you're listening via podcast, make sure you rate and review us wherever you found us. Todd, we'll do it all over again next week, and hopefully we'll have more hardware for the ladies.
0: Yeah, indeed. Thanks, Rex. Thanks, <laughs> This has been a presentation of Opt In Productions.
1: Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.